Hello. Hello. Industry. 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 Hi, friends, and welcome back to Industry Tactics. I'm your host, Friendly Rich. If you're enjoying our podcast as much as I am, why don't you let us know on Twitter at Industry Tactics? We'd love to hear from you. Please share the love. This week on the podcast, episode number seven. Andrew and I had a great chat with the effervescent, the evervungical, the lupicistical, she's fantastic, Christine Duncan, a one-of-a-kind leader and genuinely great soul. We hear about her family, how she developed her musical voice, improvising, her fantastic element choir. Uh, You know, she's able to find the good in a hot steaming pile of shite, so I tried digging in, trying to find out, how do you do that, Christine? And much, much more. We dig deep into her musical story And Christine talks straight from the heart. It's really focused. That's what she brought. She brought incredible focus. That's what we've been looking for in the past six episodes. Come on, guys. This is a window into some serious tactical tactics. All right, cue it up, as they say in the the industry. And, of course, you're not in the industry, so you don't know that. But what we're going to do here is we're going to fire up the sub-theme, because you just heard the new theme. This is what we call the sub-theme. Here she comes now, Christine Duncan. Enjoy it. Focus. Bring it right back down to the donut. Okay, a nice simple construction. Okay? Very good. Here we go. Welcome back to Industry Tactics. <laughs> We've got Christine Duncan with us today. Andrew, are you excited to know more about Christine? Yeah, I don't know anything about her <clears throat> except that she's a patient uh, driver. Yeah, she is. And that's that. Okay, so let and me take it. And Parker, she headed in out there, and I thought, no, there's no way she's going to be able to do that. And you. It was good. Fantastic, well, I have Parker. a little more experience than I might appear to have. <laughs> so welcome to Industry Tactics. Why, thank you. One of my, you were on my list of uh, of uh, strong musicians that I wanted to to uh, learn more about uh, and dive go a little deeper with here. But you know what really inspired me to think? Okay, and I think I've been bugging you about it ever since. Is we did that um, silly, we did some silly time together over the summer, making music at the Cameron House late at night. And one night you said something to me when reflecting on the Murray Schaefer experience with uh, over the summer at Luminato. You said, I've learned to navigate myself. This is how I swim through life or something. You said something that was wow. really super like, and then you said it something again downstairs, which was, yeah, I don't have time for um, that shit. In regards to the guy who <laughs> cut you off like an animal on the street just now, that we, we witnessed his shit park job. Right. Uh, well, I think it's about time and energy management and priorities yeah. often. But also, I think it's about being fluid in terms of the roles you play uh, in the different situations you find yourself in. And anybody, um, any of my artist friends anyway, musician friends that I talk to and that I know well, 
we're all finding ourselves in really varied and almost disparate kinds of environments that we're working in. And it can be anything from being completely in charge of the whole thing mm. to collaborating with somebody else to being a side person to being, you know, cleaning up after people or whatever the hell it is that we're doing. Mm. So the more fluid we can be and the more sort of comfortable and easy we can be with just shifting roles and taking whatever kind of role is appropriate for that point in time, uh, the better things are going to go in the long run. You know, think about it. It's like water. Yeah. Right? Water moves into wherever it's appropriate for move into. If it hits something that it's impassable, it goes around it or it goes through it or it goes under it or whatever, seeps through over time or just moves around and keeps going as long as the flow is happening you're not going to get stagnant, you know? Kids, are, are you listening? You better this thing we've been Are focusing we? these interviews you're in the industry we know that and that's why you're on this sofa okay so cool. you've you're in the industry and yes. now you're going to share everything you know yeah about the well. industry with our listeners and it's a growing listenership is it it is we're proud to say it very so thank, thanks for that kids the two of us six people have keep recorded keep so no, br- br- branding branding it's a it's a growing listenership now okay branding. so exactly um Christine Duncan. So, okay, I'll I'll give you what I I'll set it up, and then I want yeah. you to, uh, if you can, kind of yes. walk us back to like I I don't know how long we've known each other, uh, but um, it's been a good while, and I've seen you in many different contexts as a right. as a singer and leader of this quirky choir, the Element Choir, a very one of a kind thing. 
Um, and and so I'd love to know and, and how you created that piece, but mm-hmm. uh, and that collective group. Uh, I don't know what how you refer to it, but I'd love to learn more about how you see that and how you lead them. Right. And then and then where you come from as a singer and, yeah. and musician. <clears throat> my uh, father is a Pentecostal minister, and my family was a traveling performing musical group when I was young. Uh, I was sort of the hood ornament of the family. I was the firstborn child and intrepid. And so I was always, from about the age of four or five on, I've been on stage performing. Where did you In grow front up? of large groups of people. Yeah, it sounds like an American thing, yeah. but actually <laughs> I was born in Vancouver and oh, yes. we yes. were Canadian. Uh, we traveled all over Canada, but also in the States quite a bit too, because there's a real uh, appetite for that kind of business down there. God songs. God songs and mm. God families okay. traveling, performing God songs, yes. And my dad is a very uh, um, uh, charismatic person and a great preacher and a really fun kind of entertaining guy too, so people really dig his thing as well. Wow. So amazing. anyway, that was uh, the beginning of it all, um, mm. being raised in a fundamentalist, born-again church, speaking in tongues like like uh, group uh, religious ecstatic experience and everything right from a very young age. So to, I'm, I'm telling you this because it lays all the ground for improvisation and kind of the, all my entire creative process that I come into much later on as an adult after having gone through all the hellish things that, you know, <clears throat> kids and young adults go through, particularly when mm-hmm. they leave that kind of a belief structure and that mm-hmm. kind of a situation. And yeah, yeah. it was definitely a bow and arrow effect for me, and I'm, I'm not... Of that ilk anymore. It was a hard sort of a hill to climb with my family, but we got over it and we're super cool on our own terms, which is pretty great. So my parents have decided that having a relationship is more important than being right, I guess, you Mm. know. Beautiful, beautiful. So we have this wonderful relationship now uh, and it's really great. And I kind of because I've always sung, I've always been on stage. I started writing songs when I was 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. I had my own Christian rock band. We were opening for f- sort of well-known Christian acts when was I was the name a of the teenager. Band? It was uh, well, the first one was called Orion. Slicing. <laughs> Slicing. And it's actually the rough translation is morning wind, which I thought was really funny, but it's it's meant to me be like breeze, you know, okay, like the sure. morning breeze. But I like saying morning wind because yeah. that cracked me right up. Uh, and it's Greek. Uh, then the next band was <clears throat> with the uh, the person I got married to, a minister's son I got married to when I was young. His name was Brian Lindbergh. And mm-hmm. we had something called the Duncan Lindbergh Band. And it was my sister and I singing with him and his brother. Sounds like a lawyer, yeah. Yeah, lawyer no, office or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so anyways, my sister and I and my husband and his brother, and then we had a band as well. So we did a bunch of stuff in harmonies, like four-part harmony shit sick. and all this kind of stuff. And again, it was all kind of Christian pop rock sort of music and <clears throat> inspirational uh, in stuff. In BC? Yeah. Still in BC? Okay. Yeah. Whoa. Then uh, after, uh, I mean, sort of at the same time, because it was always, you know, about adventure and exploration, I started getting turned on to, well, first gospel, like real hardcore black gospel music, and then also um, R&B soul music, and I started, you know, learning a bunch of that stuff, singing a bunch of that stuff. Excuse me. And then some friends turned me on to jazz, like jazz singers, particularly because I had a friend who was getting married and she wanted me to sing a couple of jazz tunes at her wedding. Okay. And I had no idea about the repertoire. So they gave me a couple of albums 
with song requests, and I lifted it like karaoke, right? Okay. These jazz, like Sarah Vaughan stuff and sure. Diane Reeves and this and that, and I found that I was actually, it was pretty natural for me to go there and do that kind of singing and stuff, and so I just headlong dove into this whole exploration yeah. of jazz music and voice and all this kind of stuff and got really involved in the scene in Vancouver in different ways. Um, over a period of the next few years, I was doing a bunch of R&B gigs, R&B yeah. and blues gigs, and also starting to get into jazz gigs. Yeah. Basically, I found myself a couple of mentors. Okay, okay. And it was kind of not even intentional. I, I won a karaoke contest. I got this uh, scholarship to the School of the Arts in Vancouver, wow. which now has become this whole different thing. It's not even the same organization anymore. Uh, and I met uh, some pretty seminal people, a piano player named Miles Black, who's a phenomenal, wonderful musician and a jazz musician. Uh -huh. And we became friends early on. He was teaching there, and I was supposed to be studying piano with him, but uh, my boyfriend at the time actually played the piano, so we'd go to his house, and I'd give my lesson to my boyfriend, so he'd have two-hour lessons, and I'd hang out with Miles' wife, Lindy, in the kitchen, and we'd drink tea and just be social and stuff. That was, oh, yeah. That's how I treated my schooling. And yeah. uh, Good lesson, though. I think. And well, and we, but the thing is, it is the best possible lesson, mm -hmm. actually, you guys, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. what I've discovered right from the get-go, and it is consistent right through to today, yeah. uh, relationships are the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. The most important thing, and mm -hmm. on-the-job training. The most important yeah. thing. So we, we started to go out socially and mm -hmm. hang out, and he yeah. took me out to a club where there was a, a piano player who was basically one of the elder statesmen you know, in the Vancouver scene. His name is Bob Murphy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had this house gig at this little funny Greek bar, but it was like a... It was a place that all musicians would go to. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Everybody would congregate there. Mm. And he would play duo with people all the time. And then sometimes other people would play. So Miles and Lindy took me there one night. And Miles introduced me to Bob Murphy as a really... He says, this is Christine Duncan. She's a great jazz singer. And I looked at Miles and went, fuck oh. off. <laughs> it was yeah, like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. What are you talking about, Willis? You know, yeah. I know four yeah. songs. <laughs> it was like... So anyway, but <laughs> Miles was very... Um, he has vision, let's put it that way. So uh, uh, he says, maybe you want to play a tune with Christine. And Bob goes, he was notorious for disliking singers. He goes, uh, how about you guys get up and play a tune? <laughs> so he said, sure. So Miles and I got up and played one of the four songs that I learned from my friend's wedding. And it uh. went swimmingly. And uh. then after it was over, Bob comes up and goes, hey, you want to do a song with me? <laughs> ah, and that became wow. the basis for a relationship that was like really intense and wonderful for about 10 or 12 years where he was one of my mentors. Wow. And uh, we, we would tour together. We played duo concerts together. We wrote tunes together. We just wow. practiced. We would get together and jam. He would teach me songs. He taught me my first sort of he gave me my first experience in free improvisation which I had no concept about at that point okay and uh, I was quite scared of it under the circumstances I just didn't know how to relate and he was not the most articulate of people but he he everything for him was very experiential and there was no judgment and it was all positive reinforcement and it was all about energy and connection are you and learning are you learning to read at the, at some point throughout that too well, or like I had that singing come? lessons and music lessons my mom was a singing teacher okay. and a piano teacher so she the, you know we got dragged through yeah, yeah. early theory lessons and this and that so I got up to about grade 7 conservatory yeah. piano but honestly I I you know I'm 
I blocked out most of it. You know, really, I, I was very successful in not learning how to play piano because okay. I was fighting with my mother over it. So I won, and therefore I don't play the piano, which is really ridiculous. I mean, I play a little bit because I teach yeah, 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 <clears throat> a yeah, lot, and yeah. so I can chord and do things, yeah, yeah. elbow my way through changes, but I'm not really a, a player. You when, know, When you were singing and traveling as a kid, what, what type of music were you singing? You said you kind of discovered... Uh, gospel later, so you weren't singing gospel. Well, then. it is kind of a form of gospel, but and you it's, don't you know, really white... associate funda- fundamentalist or, or born again with with gospel music in the same. Like, when I way. say gospel music, I guess I was talking about like Southern yeah. American yeah. Mm-hmm. black gospel, like yeah. Baptist, Black Baptist churches, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. Where it that's the shit, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The stuff we did was quite white, inspirational, countrified kind of folky, gotcha. with you know some bluesy elements to it, but really not, you know. It was a more connected they, to him singing. And right. no, my, my mother is a or? multi-instrumentalist. Okay. She's, she's a pianist, first and foremost. Okay. But she played about seven instruments. And in fact, still, even in the last 10 years of her life, yeah. she's still around. Okay. She picked up the harp Beautiful. and uh, the violin and stuff. She, so she's still... Learning. Yeah. Yep. And it's, yep. You know, that's the best thing I've got from my mom is that yeah. Yeah. The, the desire and the compulsion to be... A, a student permanently and to just always be in process yeah you know and it doesn't have to be perfect you just have to be incrementally learning shit and yeah, yeah. working on stuff and getting better at stuff it's like the best gift keeps you going yeah 100 yeah. percent. And, yeah. and, and when does um like i if i think of you and i'm gonna try like i i don't want to be that guy to say oh this is christine duncan she's an improvising vocalist or like I don't want to I don't want to pigeonhole you because I see the like the entire kind of picture and yeah. it's amazing but when does that whole Things side start. of like well what happened was I, I started playing with Bob a little bit and then uh, an early on gig because I said this was a hub sort of for jazz musicians to show up after gigs or when mm. they weren't playing and stuff so this other troupe of people walked in and sat down at the front table and one of those people was Hugh Fraser who's uh, oh, wow. yeah pretty well known West Coast uh, musician composer trombonist yeah. pianist and basically what happened is they came in on one of my gigs mm. and Hugh I guess was impressed and asked me to do a gig with him and that started my next whole kind of relationship with my next major mentor in the jazz scene, who was Hugh Fraser. And so between Bob Murphy and Hugh Fraser, that I kind of had tons of these experiences. And I did some sort of lyric writing for some of Hugh's pieces, mm-hmm. and I did all kinds of stuff with him. For about a period of 15 years, I, I, working with, with Hugh, including singing in his... Um, Big band, his modern jazz big band, the Vancouver oh, wow. Ensemble of Jazz Improvisation, or Veggie. <laughs> so I was a member of Veggie, the only singer, and also for years, the only female in this whole Very band cool. of like 18 to 20 people. Wow. And we toured, we went and played the, the jazz festival in Cuba and did all kinds of crazy shit and played, you know, festivals all across Canada, tours uh-huh. and all this uh-huh. kind of stuff. So again, that was a huge learning curve. Yeah, yeah. And also, he would be writing stuff for me based on the fact that I have a kind of pretty freaky instrument. So he'd be writing multi-octave stuff for me, and sometimes I'd be singing lead trumpet, and sometimes I'd be singing with the saxes or the trombones or the snare. So I'm doing all these internal lines and learning all about parts and orchestration and from having to learn and sing and read all this kind of music. Right. But one of the other things he was doing quite a bit were were these jazz uh, orchestra workshops. He did them, first of all, in Banff, because he was the head of the jazz kind of music performance thing there for a bunch of years. Okay, I didn't know that. And then after that, in Vancouver. And people would come kind of from all over Europe and North America to these 
uh, workshops, and some of these people were into quite experimental music. Right, yeah? of course. And he always had me on board as the resident singer for these things. Wow. And so I met tons of people. I, even my friend Andrea Kuzmich, who sings in Zari, which is a Georgian trio, and used to run Darbazi, this Georgian choir. Huh. And uh, she's <clears throat> has years of a sort of jazz sort of background. And uh, she's also getting her PhD in ethnomusicology. And we're really good friends. We've performed together since I've moved to Toronto. But I uh-huh. met her years ago at one of these workshop things and a bunch of other people that I, you know, you kind of connect into a Mm -hmm. scene, into a community. It's relationships. It's relationships. I met uh, this amazing uh, woman uh, composer Mm. from um, Germany who invited me on a six-week tour with her orchestra over there, this all-women modern jazz orchestra that I went and toured with and sang with. Yeah, like crazy stuff. It sounds like you kind of like let it happen organically. Yes, actually, like, for sure. I'm not, I'm not a networker, but I'm. I, I shouldn't say that. I'm not yeah. a schmoozer. Yeah, good. But I'm definitely a networker in that. In terms of co- just connecting with people yeah. out of real desire to connect.
salju sudah mulai turun. My dream it is lovely. It's early, the sun is rising. So I moved to Toronto. So I was kind of playing around a little bit in the yeah. improv scene, but mostly coming from the structured modern jazz kind of approach. Yeah. And then still doing a bunch of like straight ahead jazz and R&B kind of pop gigs and this and that. And then I moved to Toronto in 2000, which was a huge about face for me. I just... Um, I was, wow. Oh, God, the other thing I've forgotten about. <laughs> <laughs> Since the mid-90s, I was asked to audition for a new music opera. And I went and auditioned for this. It was with a composer who was curious about and interested in incorporating different uh, disciplines of singing into his operas. So he wanted to use some opera singers, but also oh. some natural voice people who could handle the material. Okay. So who, who is the composer? His name is Peter Hannon. Okay. And he's another, of course, become another dear friend of mine that I've worked with for years. Wonderful. But so I went as, I guess I gave it away. I, I got the I got a part in this opera, <laughs> yeah. and it was this beautiful, amazing thing. It was called the Gang. It was like this a little bit like Lord of the Flies, you know, postmodern Lord of the Fry, yeah. Lord of the Fries. Yeah. Lord of the <laughs> Deep Fries. Yeah. Lord of the Fries. Uh, <laughs> Rob Ford's best favorite film. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I beat you for those fries. I kill you for those fries. Uh, anyway, so 
It was this thing, and it it happened in in Vancouver. Then it happened in Toronto. We did it again. Then he has mm. done a bunch of other projects. I was in another opera of his, which was called 120 Songs for the Marquis de Sade, oh, which wow. was like a three act Herculean crazy thing where there was nudity and there was all kinds of orgy scenes. Well, it was about the Marquis de Sade. Yeah, so, sure, you know. <laughs> sure. And then I was in another project with him called 999 Years with the Hal Band, which was a, a turn a turn of the century gig yeah. uh, in 2000, uh, which happened in Vancouver and in Toronto. And this one incorporated 20 different people uh, who are composers slash arrangers to take a piece. Each person had a 50-year increment from the years 1000 to 2000 Jesus. to choose a piece from. Okay. And then they created... Um, an arrangement of that piece for, uh, it was like a small kind of chamber ensemble, which was Peter Hannon and all his, he's a MIDI synth kind of electronics guy. Okay. And he uh, uh, incidentally also introduced me to the theremin. He's the first guy who got me, because did you know I play the theremin? Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so he's the one who introduced me to that. Sick. Uh, And it was Ron Samworth on the guitar, and it was a keyboard player. I think it was... um, Marguerite Wittfoot, and then there was percussion. Uh, I'm just trying to remember wow. who all. I can't wow. remember. So, and you had to, you picked the song. And I had song. to sing. I didn't pick anything. <laughs> okay. They they chose. They were given a 50 year increment of In time over a thousand years. Over a thousand years. So there's 20 the, of them. So 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 compositions from that thousand year period. That's right. Wow. 20 different ones. That's right, because 50 times 20. So it's like time tra- musical time traveling. It so, is. Yeah, neat. Whoa. And really I cool. sang all of it. I sang the Whoa. whole show. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. And it was psycho. It was just psycho. I want to know what was like, what was the 20th century one? Um, Beatles. That's what I would have thought. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. And before that was... Um, huh. Cool project. I think it was... Uh, the, the song was um, Speak Low, I think. Is oh, that nice. Kurt, Kurt yeah, Vile? Kurt Vile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the first half. The second half was Beatles, yeah. Do, right. do, you, do you ever say No. I do these you days. Do, right? I yeah, didn't used yeah, to. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I'm just so impressed with like, and I. It's opened that's, up. That's like a whole career that we've yeah. just gone over. Well, we're yeah. just getting yeah, yeah. we're getting well, up to the point now. <laughs> it's of, okay. Of, of I'm talking us, a lot. Caught up. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> you did ask for the history. Uh, we we said build it up, kids. You're you're <laughs> okay. paying, you're taking notes at home, right? <laughs> so relationships. I, yes. And you rarely say no. Okay, keep going, keep going. We're listening. And also, like, give 150%. You know, Whoa. and the other thing is, the other thing is, if I'm going to give advice, yeah, get your shit together ahead of time. Don't see? be last minute about it, and don't don't procrastinate mm. about learning pieces. Yeah. I see this a lot right now. There are people yeah. who are kind of like the next generation of me, but the one thing that I'm seeing that's quite mm-hmm. different, even mm-hmm. from people that I respect and love, mm-hmm. is they're not actually getting the material together until the first rehearsal. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I would always show up to the first rehearsal almost off book. Like, mm. yeah. I'm so just yeah. paranoid about m- pulling my weight right. with these right. kinds of things. Right. Right. So I would just totally have everything in advance kind of nailed. And That's it's, hard I, to do in it's itself. A, it's a different so. world these days. Like, in these operas, you know, and stuff that I've sung, because I'm not a crazy sight singer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I would ask and start bugging for the music a month before Great. the rehearsal start. Great. And then I would just start putting in regular time every day uh, on the material, so just what bit you, by bit, ch- you know, chipping away at it so what, that I had it handled. What do, you, uh, what, what, do you, what do you chalk that up to? Why, why are kids not... Uh, what, 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 or where does it come from in you to, to 
sounds like over prepare yeah. for over prepare yeah i guess for me it, you know it's the uh, always looking for approval thing perhaps mm-hmm. i can go back to my psychology right from being a child um maybe um but any any musician doesn't want to be that person on the stage fucking up i mean yeah well i, 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 mean, I mean i would hope so for sure yeah and it's so a, it's a crazy thing and maybe i'm over prepared maybe i'm prepared just enough yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Enough so that I feel that I can th- think about the artfulness of yeah. it now. And I'm not just clawing my way through paper right. to get this stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, that it's not good enough. To it doesn't be... make it fun if you're... It's a stressful activity yeah. if you're not at that point, yeah. I think. And I mean, I'm, it's not always been the case for me, and it's not mm. always the case, and I don't always have the time or the wherewithal you know, to be completely sorted by the first rehearsal. But I really try to have my shit together as much as I possibly can. So, you know, you know, and, the, and a byproduct of that, that I wasn't even, I did it for myself. I didn't do it for other people. Uh-huh. Is people want to keep working with people like that. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> surprise, surprise. You know, <laughs> people go, yeah, no, 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 you're a good one. You, yeah. you did you're the job. Well, it's less, you, less work for, on, them, for yeah. them on the day. So you're, you're a reliable source. You showed up today 15 minutes early. We thought we had 15 minutes to gab. <laughs> you totally, but we watched you park instead. Because you're early. You show up early to, early to the gig. That's right. You showed up to the Cameron house with, uh, with a notepad. But I'll be honest. It yes. sounds exhausted, uh, like exhausting. Well, I tend to be a bit extreme. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I'm either, uh, you know, I, I, I put it down to my Scorpio nature, but I just like that because I like astrology, <laughs> especially where I fit in it. Maybe yeah. perhaps it's very It's selfish. always nice when you fit into the, what you're supposed to fit into. <laughs> or when I, what I like or yeah. what, what appeals to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. We should find out the, uh, the, the horoscopes of all the other people we've interviewed and yeah. see how they compare. Because <laughs> I see a beam. We don't have to focus. You're focused. Yeah. We're, our, our new job in this one, let's try to fuck her up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. This is great. That's good. Sure, you can fuck me up. She's. Fo- she's I'm focused. actually nothing. Uh, I, 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 you could just. I'm distorting a bit. Does that matter to you? Okay. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, actually, I, it's pretty hard to derail. We'll get that me. in post. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, when I moved to Toronto in 2000, after having kind of been going back and forth from Vancouver. Okay. I had felt like I'd hit a bit of a glass ceiling there. I had a career as a jazz singer in Vancouver. I was actually doing big concerts myself of my own stuff and making albums. And there was a film made about me that played on Bravo and all this mm-hmm. shit. And mm-hmm. it was like mm-hmm. crazy. And then I, I kind of came to the end of a pretty important relationship, was feeling like I'd hit a glass ceiling. And I'd been kind of going back and forth to Toronto for a few years mm-hmm. and decided I needed to move needed, wanted to move, and I wanted to go to a place where English was still going to be the primary language and where my money was still going to be worth the same amount. Okay. Uh, so Toronto seemed like a, a smart idea. So I up and moved here. Wow. I had a place to land. I lived in Don Ross's basement. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Yeah. He's like a pretty famous fingerstyle guitar player. Wow. And uh, I had one gig booked at the Rex, and that was it. Nada. So it was like I just reinvented. I moved to Toronto in 2000 and reinvented. And I spent the first few months, one of the first things that happened was a friend of mine, Ron Gaskin, who I'd met when I'd been here doing projects before, asked me to come and help him do the music gallery radio show on CIUT. And so I started going and being involved in that, that right? with him. And then I, I actually took over the show for him. Whoa. And uh, what started happening with that is I started getting a bunch of uh, concert passes. 
and a bunch of music to listen to and check out. And I spent about five months just going out three to five nights a week, checking out music in different scenes around the city. Often it was free stuff, but other times I would uh, I'd pay and go see concerts. So I went to rock stuff. I yeah. went to pop stuff. I went to country music. Yeah. Sounds like I, fun. I went yeah. to R&B, <laughs> soul yeah. music. I went to straight ahead jazz music. And then, then I went to all the weirdo shit yeah. because of the whole music gallery connection and decided during that a period of time that that's where I wanted to be was in the sort of weirdo experimental and Love also it. improv scene in the city. Okay. And so the first gig that I did as regards to that was Glenn Hall yeah. asked me to be a part of this large ensemble he'd put it, put together called the Red Shift. Okay. And Sukyun Lee had been singing with them. There we go. But she couldn't do some gigs. So Glenn asked me to sub for her. And so I did, and I went nuts, and I just basically inhaled as much Diamanda Galass and uh, Phil go. Minton and yeah. shit as I could, okay. and then went and I spewed it out at this gig, right? It was great. So there was a bunch of people. <laughs> David Dax was in that yeah, band. Milan Pereira was in go. that band. Glenn Hall was in that band. All these different people. Great, great, great. All these different, like it was just instant sort of improv scene, yeah? Right wow, away. Wow, wow. So I did some gigs with them and did some of that stuff and a little bit of this here and there. Mm-hmm. And I met uh, Jean Martin. Here we go. And Justin Haynes. Yeah. Um, okay. And they were doing a bunch of different stuff with different people at that time. And Jean and I hit it off, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, we became partners and we're partners still to this day. So it's been 14 and a half years or something like that that we've been together. Gotta love years. that. You gotta love oh. that. Wow. Yep. And uh, we didn't even play together at first. I, I was, I met him in Vancouver actually. Yeah. I was introduced to him through our mutual friend Jesse Zubat. There you go. And, who I'd known for many years from the scene in Vancouver. Okay. And when I first moved here, I went home to do a project with an ex, and to spend Christmas with my family. Uh-huh. And I got uh, Veda Hilly, who's another friend of mine that I have worked with before, and I know she's awesome. Yeah. Asked me if I was going to to this thing, this event, to say goodbye to to David Grierson, who was a CBC. Uh, radio host. Oh, okay. He was moving at okay. the time. Okay. <clears throat> and so I went to the thing and uh, Zubat and Dawson was playing, uh, which is Jesse Zubat's Steve. old band. Okay. Is that Steve, Steve Dawson? Dawson? Wow. And cool. Jean Martin was touring with him at the time, who Jeez. I had never met. But I do know I was in the, this long L shaped bar. And they were down way down at one end, and there was a, a bend, and then another big long part of the bar, and, the, and then the actual bar itself. Mm. And I was standing up at the bar talking to somebody. And I heard the music and I went, oh shit, I got to go check out this drummer. Like sight unseen. It's like, there's something really going on here. I got to check this out. Okay. And I walked right up to the side of the stage just to see the drummer. Wow. I'd seen Zubat and Dawson. I knew what they sounded like. But the the groove, the feel, it just totally grabbed me by the guts and hauled me up around to the other end of the bar to check it out really <laughs> very cool very cool and uh and so i listened to them and i was like fuck it and he had a stripped down kit yeah he just had like a, a snare kick drum and a hi-hat maybe that was okay. it that's okay. all he was playing and it okay. was just so heavy and beautiful and so the groove you know the groove when the groove just picks you up and just takes you with it and you just you can't fight it mm-hmm. you can't fight the feeling <laughs> damn damn and it was like that kind damn. of experience for me and i went after it was over i went oh, awesome great and then i toddled back to the bar and i didn't worry about it yeah and then a little bit later about half an hour later i come walking over and i said hi to jesse who's standing at the bar and he goes hey you should know this guy because you both live in Toronto. That's how Jesse talks a little yeah. bit. My friend Jesse, who I love. And so he introduced me to Jean. And uh, we totally hit it off and we oh. hung out 
all night. We went club hopping, and we ended up at an after-hours bar. Fantastic. And then I realized I had forgot my wallet at the place I was staying. And he says, oh, it's okay. I'll ma- you can come sleep on the floor at Steve Dawson's house. So Amazing. I went back to Steve Dawson's house. He made me a bed on the floor. Oh, and this is awesome. <laughs> it was so cute. And then reckless. I, You're reckless. Reckless. I know. Just reckless. <laughs> and, but it was super sweet and friendly okay. and lighthearted yeah. and just, like, friendly and... And the next day, he gave me bus fare, and off I went <laughs> to my friend's place. And wow. I didn't see him for another month because I was in Vancouver the whole time. And the day before I was set to ride back in Toronto, I got a, just a little email from Jean. Sushi? <laughs> Love it. Isn't that sweet? Love it. So I came back, and we just started to become friends. And mm-hmm. I was actually dating somebody else at the time, but whatever. And so yeah. we, we started to become friends and hanging out, and it just evolved into this thing. And we became partners. Beautiful. And we were together for a while. Yeah. And then there was a festival that uh, a guy named Larry Rosignol started in the distillery. It was called the Toronto... Yeah. It, it, well, it turned into the Distillery Music Festival, but it was the Fringe Music Festival or something at okay. first. Or, yeah. I don't know if you... Yeah, his name's with familiar with... Anyway, yeah. uh, he put out a general call-out, I guess maybe through the sort of improv scene in Toronto for people to come and play at this thing. And unbeknownst to me, Jean put us in as a, an act. And, and as a duo act. We'd never oh, even played oh, together. Wow. As a duo act, drums and voice. That's very forward. That is gutsy. Yeah. <laughs> drums and voice. You right? want to know tactics, kids? That is a tactic. Okay? <laughs> and okay. so he... You want to get the girl? Go for it. Well, keep we were going, already like together. You were already together. We were together, but we didn't play together. So book a band. He put this thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So he put this in there, and we got accepted <laughs> into this thing. You're now a, you're so now then, an act. Yeah. So then it's like okay, uh, let's play. Like we didn't even know if we had musical chemistry. Jeez, isn't that hilarious? So Jeez. And then we we started playing together, and of course it was just spectacular. Like the feeling of it. The, yeah. The fields yeah. were really real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and at that point. <laughs> He started kind of mucking about with different things to do, and he started. He had some little caliphone turntables, you know, those little yeah. uh, portable Beautiful. speaker. Yeah, in. sure. So he had two or three of them, and he started setting them up and playing with, like, playing with discs and oh, skipping great. things and stopping things, like, kind of, you know, sounds turntables yeah. and drums. And I was vocalizing, and we kind of worked up this thing. We called it Barnyard Drama, uh-huh. which is the name of our duo. And where that came from was we were living, we lived for about a nine-month period in this almost abandoned farmhouse <laughs> on the Burlington-Oakville border wow. with another friend. And we were kind Whoa. of squatters a little bit, except Whoa. that her dad owned the property. And he just basically said, as long as you guys play, pay for the hydro and, and bring in water, you can just live there for free. So we did for So there was no months. running water, just... Yeah, that's right. Whoa. But we, we had water carted in, right? Okay. <laughs> No, there was, it was like, <coughs> it was like this uh, well, th- it wasn't a well, but anyway, whatever. There was running water, but it came from this, Right. came out of this big, huge thing that they brought and dropped in there. Like a water barrel. Yeah, but like huge, like a ton of it or something right, like that. Right, right, right. Anyway, um, yeah, it was like a load of water. You get a load of water. <laughs> I was a psycho. So, but it got, things got a little funny after a little while because there's three people and two of them are a couple, you know. So yeah, things are a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, and and it got a little bit weird because I was actually working and then I'd come home and he was trying to work on stuff and then the, the third party was just kind of taking up all the living space and smoking inside and mm-hmm. watching TV and talking mm-hmm. on the phone for four hours and this and that. So we called it the farm because it was kind of a farm. Mm-hmm. 
And one day I just came home and I, I tend to be very, a little bit uh, of a smart mouth and a bit sarcastic. And I came home one day and I said, so any barnyard drama today? Nice, <laughs> just, there it, it is. It was like that. And uh, he remembered that we laughed so hard over that thing that just kind of came out spontaneously. And it came back <laughs> when he made this application. He called it Barnyard Drama. Nice. Amazing. And Amazing. it became a band. And it's yeah. a band that still exists. Yeah. We've made a couple of albums. We've done tours. We've done concerts. So it was a crazy thing. Wow. There's another band that, that we were both in together with another sound singer from Vancouver. Her name's D.B. Boyko. D.B. Boyko. And she's also the music curator from, for the Western Front the in Western Vancouver. The Western Front. And a very dear friend of mine. Yes. We've sung together for years. Weirdo singing. Beautiful She was people. one of the other people that I did improv singing with before I knew that's what I was doing. Actually. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, you must have been connected. She's one of the people connected. who led me through that a little bit. She was a little bit of a... So me. to go back, though. Yeah. Improv singing. Yeah, nice. What are we, what are what we talking that? about? Are we talking about oh. 100% improvised vocals, like like almost scat or something right. in that? Um, it can actually go into that territory, but it is non-idiomatic improvisation and incorporates every kind of sounding the voice is capable of doing, including textural sounds, including all kinds of extended voice technique stuff, okay. uh, sound effect kinds of things, Foley kind of sounding things. Nice. Uh, yeah. It could be melodic, it could be tonal, it could be anything else, but wow. I really got into... Uh, listening to the ritual music from other cultures, the kind that voice music, the kinds that use the voice in mm. really non-North American Eurocentric ways. And uh, the other thing, I've, I've just been a mimic my whole life. So I started just mimicking things like the throat singing and the kind right. of more extreme sort of extended technique kinds of sounding that show up right. other places other than, you know, our North American kind of approach to music. And, and so to record... To record an album, I, I assume it's it's like off the floor with with the whole band, everyone going. Like is I, I can't I've always wondered what like Well we will we, we would um yeah, I've recorded a number of albums this way. Right. Uh, we will have uh isolation. Right. Um just for editing purposes, yeah, as yeah. much as anything else, because it's, it's not like you're fixing things necessarily, but sometimes you're removing things if mm -hmm. it, if things are too dense or. But do you get the do you get the the good feels if you're if you're in the booth by yourself? Can you still get the good feels? Oh, it's as long as you can hear. <laughs> right. Okay. And you can see as well too. Right. It's not like it's you know, there's no blinds or anything like that, right? So. <laughs> It's not quite the same as being live off the floor in the same room, obviously, yeah. which is which, feels the best. That but it's a lot harder to, to engineer, for sure. Well, it, it, then it's just a, a live recording, which yeah. is a different thing, right. which is fine. And that, that also, you know, I've done that as well. But yeah, it's just a, it's a, just a different thing. That, that was a really good definition of, of uh, improvised vocal technique. <laughs> is it? It was, it was great. The... Uh, the top half, I really enjoyed it. You had that, you, <laughs> you laid half. it out. So, 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 when? How do you come up with the Element Choir? How does so, that? So yeah. Get so DB and Jean and I released an album under the band name Idiolala, 
which is a, it's like a disorder uh, of of inventing language, nonsense language. <laughs> okay. And it's actually kind of somewhat connected to glossolalia. Idiolalia is is what it's called actually okay. technically, and glossolalia is speaking in tongues kind of stuff, oh, which is something that I've done since I was a little kid. Right on. Um, so for me, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. That's another thing about this vocal improvising yeah. is the use of language or parts of language or the breakdown of language uh, as sound devices and right. and uh, rhythm, as well as actual text-based stuff, too, sometimes right. with the improv. Huh. Uh, so DB and I vocalized together, and Jean played drums, and we had two CD release concerts to do, and it just seemed a little stark, right? Two voices and drums for these concerts. Okay. So Jean Martin, in all his brilliance, he, usually, he always comes up with all my best ideas, I have to say. Nice. <laughs> he suggested, why don't you guys just put together a little vocal group and conduct them as part of the concert. So it's, it's like another instrument, yeah? Mm -hmm. And cool, it's an cool. instrument that's kind of a, possibly a chordal instrument as opposed to just a single note instrument, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went, oh, brilliant idea. And because DB and cool. I had done a little bit of gestural conducting of groups of people, mostly recreationally, uh -huh. um, but we had done a little bit of that at block parties at the Western Front where people would show up and, she, you know, she'd split them into two halves and I'd conduct half and she'd conduct half. But oh, really, wow. it would be wow. just us improvising with each other using the voices as our instrument. So, so how many vocalists are we talking about here? Oh, yeah. it could have been anywhere from, you know, 30 to 40 at that point. Right. But, you know, 20 each or something like that, yeah? Yeah, right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So that <laughs> was... Uh, so, so for the concerts... Uh, we just went, is like, you know, y y people turn on, if, you, if you're open, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're kind of willing to just be taught all the time, mm -hmm. it's really easy to just feel like somebody turns on the light switch. It's like, oh shit, of course, boom, turn on the light switch. Yes, that is exactly the thing to do. So I kind of was teaching, because uh, I teach in the jazz departments at the U of T. The, the U of T. Yes, well and, done. And also at Humber College. Right. And so I teach voice and jazz bits, you know, there at those two places. And uh, so I kind of put the call out between students and also um, people just in the improv community to, to be part of these little vocal groups. And so we had small vocal groups in both Toronto and Montreal. Um, my friend Kathy Kennedy put a little group together for us in Montreal. And we just kind of conducted them very gesturally and uh, also very call and response. What are some of the gestures for the kids at home? It, we'll, have to, we'll have to describe <laughs> well, what they are. Well, at that point, it was mostly, mostly you'd just go up to them and you'd sing stuff to them and they'd sing it back to you. So it would be very call and response sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, or you can throw a shape, you know, like, like something that looks like a, a, a Nike swirl or Nike swoop or something like that. And then they would interpret what that sounds like. Or, that's you know all? What I mean? Talk to us about it the was conduction so, thing, though. Well, that was, that was the beginning of it. Oh, that's It was the, nothing. Okay, there okay, was okay. nothing. It was just, we were flying by the seat of our pants, and we just kind of went, yeah, and, you know, and I do this, and they do this. And, it's like and, a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. so and it was okay. very hands-on and very abstract. But people would respond to, you yeah. know, somebody up there, kind of waving their arms at them, they're going to do something. Right. And so it yeah. was basically about that. But after the experience of doing these concerts, we went home and I was pretty pumped about the idea. And yeah. Jean and I discussed it and we went, fuck, we need to figure out a way to actually create a vocabulary for this kind of stuff so that wow. there's articulate, so it's more articulate and so that 
it can move through different territory. And so it could be more than just this really loosey goosey kind of call and response gestural thing. Okay. So the next thing we did was write a grant application to the Canada Council for a study and a um, creation grant for me to develop a language for improvising choir is what we did. And, Brilliant. And then I got this grant to, to do this. So it was like over a nine-month period of time. Uh, and so I took some lessons. I took some um, overtone singing lessons. And I took some uh, Japanese folk singing lessons because I'd always wanted to check that out. And then I just started checking out whatever systems of conduction are just already out there and happening. So I, I went and I did some London Improvisers Orchestra stuff, right? Which is, there's a Toronto group that was doing that for a while, mm-hmm. which is the Butch Morris system yeah. of conduction. Yeah, well, can you They're explain used, what that is quick, like just in a nutshell? I think there's like 21 to 25 hard cues that uh, he has come up with for um, large ensemble improvisation, structured improvisation. What's, what, what would one of them be? Like a I'm just trying to remember because one. I've stolen so, things from so many places. I think one thing is for if he, if he wants someone to solo, he makes yeah. saxophone hands at them. Okay. If he wants someone to accompany that solo, he makes piano hands. Great. Beautiful. To underpin it. that, he yeah. makes bass, like acoustic bass hands. Okay. That, those are three Thanks. sort of very, very simple, sort of nice. straightforward things. And um, so I did some work checking that out. I played John Zorn's Cobra a few times and yep. had a sense of what that kind of game board kind of system of uh, structured improvisation is like. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple little things that, that I kind of probably stole from there, too. I just mm-hmm. can't quite recall what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I was performing in the um, AIM Toronto Orchestra, which was put together by uh, Kyle Brenders. Um to perform with and learn a, a large piece by Anthony Braxton. Okay. And so he came and worked with us, and uh, we did some stuff with him. So what, is it, what do they call that, that in the diamond clef? Is that the di- exactly. Yeah. And so he did some of his stuff with us, in turn, Love it. In, uh, including some of his improvisation stuff. Wow. And I ripped off a thing or two from him. <laughs> I, I, great, great. I love this. Mostly the incremental uh, pitch shifting, pitch shifting by semitones. So the, the okay. hand goes up, and if the thumb goes, if the palm goes down, yeah. it's a thumbs up thing. Okay. And if the palm goes down, you go down a semitone. If the palm goes up, uh, you go up a semitone. So that is something that I incorporated into the element choir. Uh, uh. I um, I went and had a couple of lessons with uh, Jean de Rome in okay. Montreal, who has his own system of structured improv game called canoe camping, which is canoe camping. And uh, wow, wow, it's a wow. game piece thing, but there's also cues and this and that. Uh, secondary cues and stuff and so I got some stuff from him that I've incorporated into the element choir Wow! I had a couple of lesson sessions with a couple different composer friends of mine going back to Peter Hannon from Vancouver okay. uh, to just talk through the kind of language that would be required or the kinds of the kind of vocabulary that would would be the most functional and you get the most bang for your buck out of uh, so we, I played him some sort of very, very early on stuff that we'd kind of recorded, just just improvising quite randomly uh, with with this group I was working with. And then also um, Juliet Palmer, who I've yes. worked with for the last bunch of years, yep. and who in fact is a member of and sings in the Element Choir. So she's kind of had the most incredible advisory role for yeah, me, she, exactly. because she's been one of my advisors, but she's also a choir member. So... She's cool, got this whole cool. inside track, and she still continues to advise me, oh, sometimes whether I want it or not. <laughs> hey, great. Hey. <clears throat> not to mention uh, Jean, my partner Jean, yeah. who just advises all the time and yeah. 
as I said, comes up with all my best ideas, I swear. You know. Andrew, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's, he's new to this. Yeah. He wants to join. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, do you have an orientation package for him? Like, is, <laughs> is it a simple welcome to the... The way the Element Choir works, um, <laughs> people contact me or email me. <laughs> That's very okay. cute. Uh, and I put I get, send them an invitation to the Element Choir Google group, which is where I'm doing all my You got a Google group. Very interesting tactic. Well, I have because Google shut down my ability to email all of these people, these 200 and some people from my private email. They accused me of spamming. Okay. So I had to That's I had bullshit. to re regroup basically. Okay. And created Google Groups. But it's it's actually much easier in the long run. Yeah. Uh, so people join the Google Group. I send all the email out from them. And what I'll do is I I just book rehearsals once in a while, which are kind of workshops slash yeah. rehearsals. Okay, okay. And I have a couple coming up. I have uh, on the November 18th and 25th, I have rehearsals coming up. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, what happens in those rehearsals is I teach people the cues mm-hmm. in a very hands-on way, and we make sound together, learning the cues as we go along. And then I have a couple of sheets of handouts as hard copies for people to take away with them. Uh, and the way that this choir works, and it's incredible because anybody can do it, mm-hmm. from the most tone-deaf weasel in the world to you know master musicians and mm-hmm. singers, mm-hmm. and it all sounds great <laughs> and it all it's the the ability to contribute is kind of equal throughout the group it's insane i've done it with groups of seniors i've done it with groups of kids i've done it with mixed groups of everything from kids to seniors in mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and uh in you know french <laughs> that was a little tricky but <laughs> having a interpreter is good sometimes but um yeah it's a crazy crazy thing because all you need to do is be willing to make sound in a group. And then it's up to me, you know, I I cherry pick people for different jobs within the context of the thing because I'm composing a piece basically as it happens. So it's instant composition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's got to be So there's nothing, yeah, it's it's an amazing experience. (laughs) There's nothing preset, nothing predetermined. There are certain things like, for example, you know, we did this collaboration with with the lollipop people thing, which I thought was awesome, actually, really successful. Yeah, it was So there are actual pieces we're working with, but I also liked it just as much, if not more, those times when we were doing, you were doing pieces I didn't have paper for, right. we didn't know, and I was just freeform improving with the group through it. Yeah, it, it was so daring and, and beautiful. And, 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 it, and it really works, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I pause for one sec? This is so unprofessional. Do this. I can, I can hear something in the other room that I have to... I have to check. No, on that's this. not unprofessional at <laughs> all. Sorry. And by the way, it's it's totally in your head. We're all in the industry. We can't hear it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, can we keep going though while you're doing this? Yeah. Okay. So the next question is, how excited are you about this uh, Massey Hall Tiny Tagak Element Choir mashup? What's going on? Well, it's a crazy thing. We're doing so much stuff with Tanya Tagak. I was just performing with Tanya singing, actually, myself, in Iceland. In Iceland. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there's that, too. And yeah. she and I have this beautiful simpatico, actually. She told me after the gig that we did the other night, she goes, it's kind of like singing with myself, <laughs> which is pretty fun. Wow. Uh, and it's because of the kind of sound world that we inhabit. I don't, I'm not an Inuit throat singer, obviously. But in terms of all of the other kinds of sounding she does and the yeah. kind of sounding that I do, yeah. there's a lot of overlap, right, in terms of that. Oh, that's so amazing. So the Element Choir, 
since the Polaris Awards, that the, the Polaris Award that Tanya Tagak won, we've been performing with her mm-hmm. every time she's in Toronto and there's a budget big enough to house a choir, or a stage even right. big enough to house a choir. Yeah. And the funny thing about the Polaris Awards gig, which has you know, become quite well known by now, Tanya had never met or heard the choir until we walked on stage together. Oh, excellent. That's yeah. far out. So oh, that was oh, like oh. brand new for her. Wow. And uh, and you could see the effect of it too. It's yeah. just like, just like total yeah. rocket propulsion, you yeah. know. But Jean and Jesse have performed many times with the choir and recorded with the choir. We have a couple of albums out and this and that. So they were completely I love these, prepared. I love these beautiful musical kind of uh, like that's a beautiful musical coming together of just like Jean and Jesse have a solid base of, of performing both with Element and yeah. with with yeah. Tanya. So it's just like I, I don't know. There's, and there's it so goes much... back full circle. Yeah. That this is Jesse Zubat that I'm talking about that introduced yeah. Jean and I. To each other, and Jean is my partner, and Jean and Jesse are Tanya Tagak's band, and yes. it was Jean who came up with the idea to bring the Element Choir on board for the Polaris Awards because they wanted something kind of big and spectacular, uh, yeah, a big kind of big bang for that particular performance, and then of course that went so well that it's just been this ongoing thing that keeps going. So now we're uh, performing with Tanya Tagak on December first at Massey Hall. Uh, before Owen Pallet. Okay. And then also the Element Choir is going to be recording on Tanya Tagak's new album, which is going to be recorded on the first two weeks of December. And I'm also going to be doing some vocalizing on that myself. And we have what a, that's <coughs> amazing. Other, all kinds of other projects coming up wow. uh, with, with her, with that group, uh, in the new year, including me going to towns and training choirs in different places to perform with them in in um Wow. October, not October. In January, yes. we're doing the Arctic Awards in Ottawa. Okay. And I'm going to be working with an Inuit youth choir there and training them in the element choir style of performing to perform with Tanya Tagak oh there God. for the Arctic Awards. Things like Christine, this is starting to happen. This it's is crazy. amazing. Relationships? Yes. Re- yes. Never say no. Yeah. Yeah. Always say yes. And, yeah. and yeah. show up. Really prepared yeah. and just give it 150% okay. every single time. But really, then, really. how are we doing for time? Are we okay? Yeah, we're... Here's a, here's we're a thought. Fine. Okay, okay. We're, we're, we're okay. Because you, when you said that, that, that line about, to me at the Cameron House, late at night of just, you found a way to swim through life. You really have. Mm. You know, some, there's something about it that I'm fascinated by and inspired by because it's, you found a way to make sense of it I think so we were it, this was in reference to what I as an audience member was getting Italian road rage for similar to downstairs when I was watching that guy cut you off and, and so I'm, I'm upset about all this stuff yet you are not upset the one that got cut off and the one that had to deal with that shit show what appeared to be a shit show for me which was that Luminato Apocalypsis production mm-hmm. and I love Murray Schaefer but mm-hmm. that that was stressful as an audience member how did you cope? You just said, "Oh, I found the good in it." What are we? What are, what, I, I've heard, I heard about that production. I didn't hear any anything about it. What are we talking about? What, well, you said the I word think it show. was the fact that that there was a real major disconnect between the actual composition of the piece and yeah, yeah. the the direction, right? And, and it, the production itself and the elemental 
McQuire. The Ellen McQuire was, McQuire involved, was in, involved in Apocalypse. They were one of the we choirs. Were the, well, yeah. One of the choirs. We were the speech choir, which yeah. was the most fun because we were the dissent. We were the yeah. we were uh, subversives. We were the, the ones who were always like screaming and howling okay. and fighting against the beauty, <laughs> the pervasive beauty. So, so you found the good in it because there's so much beauty in that and creativity in that score, right? Like, yeah, so but much. also I think just... Uh, surrendering to the experience there you go that it was instead of trying to superimpose my own agenda my own opinion my own feelings on it it's like this is the thing i've contracted to do this thing <clears throat> i'm just going to surrender to what this experience actually is in reality the stuff that mm-hmm. i get mm-hmm. and relate to the mm-hmm. stuff that i don't and i'm curious about why these connections were made. I'm curious about why this was curated in the way that it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I watched the people involved and I watched the situation go down and I understand some of these decisions based on what I see and what I'm experiencing in these people. And yeah, this is what's important to these people. This is why they make these choices. Huh. Very interesting. I love Murray Schaefer's music. I was thrilled to be a part of doing the music. Yeah. Uh, As far as the rest of it goes, I just kind of went along for the ride and just checked out what the situation actually was. And the th- other thing, too, is a, a, an incredibly special experience mm-hmm. to be part of something that large. It was huge. Just that in yeah. and of itself is almost worth it. Yeah. My main headache was trying to make sure that my people, my almost you know 40 or whatever the yes. hell people, yes. actually were showing up to what they were supposed to be right. showing up to and on right. time and doing what they were supposed to do. That was like wrangling cats. There that was the so most many... frustrating thing for me was yeah. trying to deal with yeah. my own people. Yeah. The actual interfacing with the organization uh-huh. or or the structure, or the machine, or the the corporateness of it all, uh-huh. I found very curious, and uh, I was fine with it because I just went into it. <coughs> excuse That's me, went into it, yeah. choosing not to have strong opinions about it until yeah. it was all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I, like you know what it is. It's the, yeah. it's like a pie, right? Yeah, and my opinions and my feelings. Okay. And my experience and my work and my time and my energy and all those kinds of things are all just different pieces of this pie. Yeah. And so if something is not lining up with uh, something that I, a process I have myself in, yeah. and I choose to continue the process because it's all choice, isn't it? Let's yeah. face it. Yeah. We either choose to do things or we choose not to do things. Yeah. We choose to make it easier or we choose to make it harder. We choose to get along or we choose to fight. We cho- yeah. It's all about choice. Every second. So if my feelings or my opinions are not lining up with what the actual process is, I'm fine to compartmentalize that, put that aside for right now, and just let the other stuff be more important so that the experience gets to be as as whole as it can. And then think about it and parse it out and, you know, have opinions about it later on. Mm -hmm. Why not do that? I'm maybe just very good at compartmentalizing, you're good. but no, I think it I think it works for me. Are you kidding? I mean, the one thing going through my mind through a lot of that was like, well, good for you because it's pretty easy to get bitter doing a lot of the shit that, takes that we do. So you know? much energy. It, it's really, it, that uh, is a suck, yeah, and, and yeah, I can't afford yeah, that shit. Yeah. I need the juice to be flowing. I need to be able to create. I need to be able to move forward. It's got to be about momentum. Yeah. The bitterness thing, that's like that just freezes you up and sucks all the, the life out of you. I yeah. mean, I, yeah. I get it. I understand. Sure, sure. But I, I just can't. It's a spiritual choice, hey, for me. It's yeah. a spiritual thing. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. But this whole thing is a spiritual thing for me. It's, it's yeah. never... 
I can't extricate that from the actual work itself and from the process and from yeah. fucking getting up in the morning and going into the basement and the you know the the jazz rec room at U of T and oh, yeah. doing what I have to do in this net snorting the asbestos right it's yeah it's <laughs> yeah. it's a spiritual choice yeah. and if I say yes to the contract then you're in the only one who's gonna suffer if I fight that the whole way is me nobody mm-hmm. else gives a shit well yeah. done man I'm uh, you're a Shea woman. <laughs> yeah like a shaman yeah but a Sh- shaman, shaman. I'm, I'm so impressed um i just have one final question mm-hmm. andrew andrew do you think he, so for the listeners you have pink hair mm-hmm. you've yeah. taken on you you definitely do things in a non-traditional or you approach things that are non-traditional it sounds like you gravitate towards like yeah like i do improvise. i like i like that yeah. but your history is obviously de- comes from a deeply traditional yeah type place do you think part of what you are now is a bit of a turning away from that or well, i would say that i mean it's, it's backlash on some level but you know i have a real perspective about my own development and growth as an artist i i i'm not very interested in being linear mm-hmm. in a sense i know we we we're specialists i guess we're all specialists in a way but within that I want my kind of growth and development to be as balanced as possible. So I still adhere to structure a mm-hmm. great deal. I have to, or I can be like functional. It for sure. You yeah. know, and, and I yeah. function very well. I'm very high functioning in structured environments, but also as much as possible the extemporaneous as mm-hmm. well, right? Mm-hmm. And the expressive and the spontaneous. So for me, I want to grow out in as many different directions at the same time as possible so that the whole substance gets bigger with the artistic development rather than going a very, very far away in one very thin line. I want it to be spherical mm-hmm. so that it's like I'm working this back and I'm working up and I'm working down sideways and stuff so that the whole kind of sphere kind of gets bigger and takes up more negative space with yep. the growth. So for me, <laughs> still really adhering to ritual, adhering to structure, all that kind of stuff feels really important, even though it's not as important to me as the more kind of wild, crazy, you know, right. s- extemporaneous kind of stuff, if that makes sense. But it has to be balanced. That sounds kind of like the art of improvisation, though. It's like you, yeah, you, you're living it. You create. Yeah, yeah. There's obviously going to be a structure because you're yep. working in in a material, your voice, whatever. Yep. But you're trying to get as yes. as uh, immaterial as you can get. Right. And for me, this is very. That's a great point, actually, Andrew. For me, my entire approach to improvising, which is really free, mm. non-traditional, non-structured improvisation has to do with being compositional. <laughs> yeah, because you're composing, love it. no matter what, you're composing yeah. something. Yeah. So. But it's just happening in the moment. It, just, yeah. it doesn't yeah. have to be pre-thought. But it's about moving, <coughs> excuse me, moving in directions that feel like there's intention. Right? That's really interesting because the guys from uh, Guelph a couple years ago when they hired me to do that thing, the improviser in residence, mm-hmm. I went, don't you mean uh, composer in residence? I don't consider myself to be an improviser. I, I don't. Like, I, I just don't, right? And they yeah. went, oh, no, no, you're an improviser. And I went, okay, then, let's do this. And it worked. Mm. It totally worked, right? But mm. the idea of, what is it? Is it composed or is it improvised? I love that. I love the fact a that you're A friend of mine from Vancouver, that, right? who, who, a friend that I play with sometimes out in Vancouver, his name's Mark Parlett. He's actually D.B. Boyko's partner. Oh, yeah? He calls it comprovisation. Great. Huh. There we go. We both win. Well, you, I've seen you perform maybe twice. Yeah. Huh? And I've always thought that you look, it's like very intentional. 
It's all pre-composed. And it, Come on, and every it, last and note. Doesn't, it doesn't look... Yeah. It doesn't... There's something... I don't know. It seems very um, structured and rigid and... I don't know. Like like in a good way. What? Is it my foot? No, no. I got some fuzz. Oh. Do you, do you know what I mean? So that's... It sounds like you guys... Maybe your product is... Um, I mean, you perform together. Yeah. So you can perform together, but it's maybe... You guys are disparate in certain ways as well. We'll probably go mm-hmm. about it a lot differently from mm-hmm. the point of starting the whole thing, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, hey, but, it's, you all, know, part it's, of, it's all, all the same, I think. It you know? really yeah. is. Yeah. It's, it's just sort yeah. of, it's a continuum, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we find ourselves at different places along this sort of cycle at different times. I mean, I have stuff coming up that's going to be pretty composed uh, that I'm not... I don't quite feel comfortable talking about yet. <laughs> Pretty big projects, though, of yeah. doing stuff that that's actually needs to be really written down. I'm going to have to collaborate with someone who can orchestrate, actually, okay. and uh, as well as uh, improvised aspects and this and that. So there's really, you know, oh, that's, lots that's, of stuff. That's, that's a dream. Yeah. Okay, well, we love you. <laughs> I love you, too. Let's go find that guy who cut her off and beat <laughs> the crap out of
it's getting better. Uh, it's getting better. Uh, uh, that's, uh, that's a real good. Real good. She is the best. That was Christine Duncan. Thank you so much for the time that you gave us, Christine, and all the insight. Um, next week, we're going to get, uh, we're going to actually take a road trip. Andrew and I go in, and visit uh, Hoxley Workman up at Berks Falls. And oddly enough, I'm going to, at the same time that this podcast is going to come out, I'll be uh, recording a new record with Hoxley and Kevin Bright. So that's kind of exciting and just coincidental that the, both of those are going to happen at the same time. If you need to know more, at Industry Tactics on Twitter, we'd love to hear from you. Take care, friends. Have a nice week. Goodbye.